This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. We'll hear a lot of hype about gratitude with the holidays coming. We'll go over how gratitude has proven to help you and how you may have been thinking about it all wrong. What are gratitude's powers and what are its limits? And one listener asks what to do for her usually studious freshman who's suddenly indifferent to high school and grades this year. We'll answer that question in this week's episode of Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, the show for real talk about worry and other big feelings in parenting. Hi, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. I've been a therapist for 30 years. You're here because your family has some anxiety issues or you want to prevent them. I'm your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law, Robin, and I'm here to ask your questions. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'll help you find your way. So it is November, which means that we are about to be flooded with articles and television segments on gratitude. It's the holiday season. I think it would be really interesting to think about what really is the power of gratitude and can it really be this cure-all? Well, and that's one of the things that I pay a lot of attention to, actually, because many words or practices or things that are touted as being good for us, and many of them are good for us, but then they they cross over into this place where they're going to be cure-alls. They're going to fix everything. So I think it's interesting to actually look at what we know about what gratitude can do and maybe what it can't do and how you can implement gratitude in really effective ways in your family. Is gratitude the kale of mental wellness? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it depends on, it depends on whether you massage it before you put it in your gratitude salad. (laughs) (laughs) When people are researching gratitude, because people research everything, gratitude is defined as an emotion, which is kind of an interesting thing when you think about it, right? We don't often think of it that way. I think of it as an emotion, but I also think of it as an act. The the same way, for example, I just read this quote somewhere, and I want to say that it was from Mr. Rogers, because it probably was, but he said, love is an act, right? Love is active. And I think when we think about gratitude, it's an emotion for sure, like we feel gratitude, but I think it's really important to think about it as, as something that we do. Because one of the things that the research shows about gratitude is that one of the biggest places where it has an impact is on your relationships. And you know, that's, that's what I'm all about. So it's an emotion, but it's a social emotion because it really helps you connect with people and interact with people in a positive way. If we think about gratitude, we can think about it as an internal state right? Oh, I feel so grateful for this, or I feel so grateful for that. But I think if we really want to have it be effective in our own sense of happiness or well-being, gratitude is something to be given and something to be shared and something to be absorbed. And I think those are really good skills that we can model for our family. One of the the things that we know about gratitude is that it doesn't really cure anxiety and depression based on the research, but it can help to prevent it. 
I'm all about what are the skills that we need to teach our kids. It's like when we were talking about depression, what are your risk factors and how do we get ahead of it in our families? How do we think about where are the little gaps or where are the little cracks in our potential to develop anxiety and depression? Having a gracious attitude, exhibiting gratitude is one of those things that can actually help to prevent mental health issues. Once you're pretty anxious and once you're pretty depressed, gratitude isn't a treatment. Gratitude isn't a psychotherapy. Gratitude isn't going to take that stuff away, but we can use it as a way to buttress our mental health. And and with our kids, that's such an important thing for us to be thinking about. When you were saying that, what I was thinking of, there was like a trend on Facebook where people had gratitude challenges and they would post every day Mm -hmm. something they were grateful for. And it makes me think Mm -hmm. that there are certain aspects of gratitude that we've gotten wrong. Because when people are sharing among their friends on Facebook that they're grateful for the roof over their heads, but if gratitude was always defined as some sort of past action between Mm -hmm. two people, So that I wouldn't say that I was grateful for the memory of this or this. I would say, I'm grateful for you, that you went with me to the park that day, and we got to do this together and use gratitude as a way to deepen our connections. Because if you are feeling grateful and you're carrying that around inside of you, well, that's good. But what if you're really grateful to the effort that your second grader's teacher has made to deal with remote learning? Or you're grateful to your friend who knew you were having a rough day and left a little box of chocolates on your front step or whatever. So you're feeling grateful for that, but you don't tell them that. So part of it is, is gratitude is about saying thank you. Gratitude is saying, I appreciate that you did this for me. I appreciate that you paid attention to what I was going through and you did something to help me. And and that's where I think when we teach kids to express gratitude, that we are also teaching them empathy. Because remember, empathy is putting yourself into somebody else's shoes and understanding and appreciating what they're going through or what they're feeling at the time. It's just not a one-way street. Being able to say to somebody, I really appreciate that you did that. I really appreciated that you were paying attention to, to how I was feeling. When we say that to a child, we're modeling empathy. I guess I'm getting stuck on this little idea. So for example, in our family, one of the things that we will often hear is I'll hear my husband say to his mom, your mom, thank you for the nice meals. Like after we've had a lovely visit, because Mm -hmm. your mom's this great cook, we're Mm -hmm. always talking about her great cooking, Mm -hmm. which of course is showing gratitude. However, if instead he said not thank you for the nice meals, but I just want you to know I appreciate the time that you took to make these meals for us. And I appreciate the skill that you have of cooking something so delicious, really making it about what she did as opposed to the the outcome. Yeah. Ultimately, it's kind of the same, but one is going to feel a lot more significant than the other. Well, I think because when you say it that second way, you're not just saying, thank you for the tuna fish sandwich. You're saying, thank you for the time and effort and the caring that you put into the tuna fish sandwich. Right. You're actually appreciating what that person did for you based on, not just on the thing they're handing you. Right. You know, say you're at the grocery store and you give the person $20 for a $14 thing and they hand you $6 back and you say, thank you. Okay, so you appreciate that you gave them 20, they gave you $6 back. You wouldn't say, I so appreciate the time you took to count my money 
and to, to really <laughs> write you and say that. So thank you. There's different levels of thank you. And I think what you're saying is that we can do the perfunctory thank you. When we're expressing gratitude, we're saying, I really appreciate that you did this thing for me, or I notice what you're doing as a way to help me or as a way to connect to me, or I appreciate the time and care and the emotional energy that you put into it. And if you were someone who trained yourself into always thinking about your interactions with other friends and family, and you routinely verbalized that because you saw them for all of these positive things and you shared that, I doubt that you'd have a disconnected feeling and a distance with them. I bet that it would be an ability to feel very connected with the close people in your circle. Oh, for sure. It strengthens emotional connection Yeah, when you routinely say, I see you. Right. And that's why when we think about gratitude as, as a social emotion, that it's about interaction. It's about connection between two people. It does take it up to that next notch. I'm not trying to develop an emotional connection with the person handing me $6 at the grocery store. I appreciate that they gave me my money back, but I'm not trying to emotionally connect. So when you're expressing gratitude, it is much more emotional. It's a much more deeper sense than just a, than just a thank you. The thing that's interesting to me about it too is how uncomfortable people can be both expressing that gratitude and receiving it. Everybody listening, just think, think of this for a moment. Think of somebody that has been really important in your life. And think about what it would be like for you to reach out to that person. Maybe it was this high school teacher you had that really helped you when you were going through a rough time. Or maybe it was, you know, who knows, right? The first boss you had that said, I think you're really going to be able to do this job and I have confidence in you. What would it be like for you to express gratitude to that person? How many times have you thought of somebody that you're really grateful for? And have you acted upon that? And I think that expression of gratitude is really important, but I think a lot of times we just don't do it. You know what's great about that? What? It's never too late. I know. I have two specific teachers that were really life-changing for me, and I was relieved that as you said that, I did express that to each of them at different points. It was actually several years later because understanding the profound impact the teacher and the lessons had, you know, obviously with age, I only became more grateful. So it was super fun to, as an adult, articulate what this teacher did. Right. It's never too late to write that. Nope. It's never too late. I actually got an email last week, from one of my high school teachers he was my chemistry teacher, but more importantly than that, he was my advisor. So in the school I went to, you had like a homeroom advisor person. And he actually went to the college I went to, and he was instrumental in helping me learn about it and talk to me about it. And uh, he saw an article that I had written. So he just reached out and emailed. And I emailed back to him. And it's both the giving of gratitude and the receiving of gratitude. I wrote this really appreciative email back to him. And I felt so good writing it. And I got to expect that when he got the email, he just retired from teaching. He's probably, you know, in his mid 70s. I'm guessing that he appreciated receiving it too, because he was so kind to me. He was such a, he should have been a teacher, right? He was a coach and a teacher. And that was where he should have been. And I so appreciate that. It's really both the giving and the receiving that we want to pay attention to. Didn't you feel good when you reached out to those people and you were able to express your gratitude to them? Definitely. 
it's such an easy exercise to do. Is there anyone that you haven't ever expressed that gratitude at any point to draft that note? In 2020, we'd all love to hear something like that, right? And I think it's interesting you say that it's an easy exercise to do because I will dispute you on that a little bit. I think it's easy logistically to do, but I think it is really hard sometimes for people to do that. Like I think emotionally people, they feel embarrassed about it or they feel vulnerable when they do it. Like they feel like, oh, this is going to be, how is this going to be received? I think the idea of doing it, and I think the logistical, like you say, 2020, you can track people down and send them things. But I think people hesitate to do it. I think they hesitate to do it with the people that they love the most. I was just reading something and I can't remember what it was, but this guy was saying that he that he sat down with his dad. It was one of the TED Talks that we're going to make sure we link to, but how it felt weird to sort of sit down with his dad and say, I just want to tell you how how grateful I am for what you've done for me as a dad. I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable with that. We've got to say, like, you just got to dive in and maybe it will feel a little uncomfortable and maybe you will get a little emotional, but that's the point and that's okay. There are layers of difficulty in that. And so here's another little thing for everybody to remember. If somebody comes to you and expresses their gratitude, then you should be open and receive it. Because one of the things that shuts people down, like say you were to go to a a parent or say you were to go to somebody and say, I really appreciate all that you did to help me with this. And they go, ah, forget about it. Or they go, oh, now you're going to get all weepy on me, right? Oh, here we go with this mushy stuff. That shuts it down. Or, oh, it's nothing. Yeah, oh, it's nothing. Yeah, 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 whatever. When we're talking about how we model this for our children, we want to model it in a way that we show them both how to give it and how to receive it. So that we can have those interactions, that we have that connection. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook, you can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. 
They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up, so order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. Lumen is the world's first handheld metabolic coach. It's a device that measures your metabolism through your breath, and on the app, it lets you know if you are burning fat or carbs, and it gives you a tailored guidance to improve your nutrition, workouts, sleep, and even stress management. So how Lumen works is that you breathe into the Lumen device first thing in the morning, and you'll know what's going on with your metabolism, whether you're burning mostly fat or carbs. And then Lumen gives you a personalized nutrition plan for that day based on your measurements. You can also breathe into it before and after workouts and meals, so you know exactly what's going on in your body in real time. And Lumen will give you tips to keep you on top of your health game. I love the extra data that I'm getting about my health right now. Because for many women of my age, as we are going through a long chapter of hormone changes, Lumen's helping me use my body's data to make the best choices. So your metabolism is your body's engine. It's how your body turns the food you eat into the fuel that keeps you going. And because your metabolism is at the center of everything your body does, optimal metabolic health translates to a bunch of benefits, including easier weight management, improved energy levels, and better sleep, which is key. So Lumen gives you recommendations to improve your metabolic health. So what is metabolic flexibility and why should you care? Well, the key to metabolic health is something called metabolic flexibility. We love flexibility at Fluster Clucks, and that's where Lumen really shines. It refers to your body's ability to efficiently switch between using different fuel sources like carbs and fats, and there are preferred times to use each, and how well you can switch places you on the metabolic flexibility spectrum. So after getting to know you through your breath, Lumen gives you a metabolic flex score that you can track and improve upon. So if you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fluster to get $100 off Lumen. That's L-U-M-E-N-D-O-T-M-E. And use Fluster at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. There are things that you can do. I mean, you can talk very directly to your family, to your children about doing these exercises of expressing gratitude to other people. So one of the exercises you see, all the, you know, you hear like, oh, I'm just going to keep a gratitude journal. So every night I'm going to write down about three things that made me feel grateful today. Okay, that's fine. Actually, the research shows that that doesn't actually have too much of an impact on when people are feeling anxious and depressed. But if we take it up a notch, you're going to express gratitude to somebody every day that when you notice somebody doing something that you appreciate, then you're going to teach your kids how to say that out loud and how to accept it and how to be open to it. 
I think that's much more powerful than you just making a list in your journal, honestly. If you're making it a uh, one-person experience, right. reflecting on gratitude and putting it in a journal, that's not even showing the strength of what gratitude is. Right. It's a social action. And I think sometimes that gets lost. You know, we can certainly be grateful for the beauty around us. We don't have to stand outside and say like, thank you, chipmunks for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but, but you, I mean, I don't think that's a bad thing. Was it Chip and Dale who were like, after you, after you, <laughs> yeah. after you. Yeah, Chip and Dale. I just made an amazing connection. Chippendale, right? Isn't there, aren't there the Chippendale dancers? Uh, yes. Is that a play on the chipmunks? Um, but is that, is that where it came from? It actually didn't. Chippendale is a reference to interior design, like Chippendale furniture. Chippendale has a historic meaning before the Disney chipmunks. Yeah, but the Chippendale dancers, did they come after the chipmunks? The Chippendale dancers are referred to Chippendale, the word that has the historic design association. So male strippers, the connection <laughs> is back to the design of colonial era furniture. I don't think I Chippendale don't think was so. colonial, <laughs> but I Chippendale, the chipmunks were named after the word Chippendale. Yes. If you join our Facebook group, we will share the answer after I research it. Is there a connection? This is what I'm asking. (laughs) Anyway, I don't even know what we were talking about. Chipmunks. Okay. So yes, gratitude. (laughs) Gratitude is a social emotion. Let's get back on track here. Okay. Let's talk about what we can do. So if you're saying to yourself, you're, you're listening to this, parents, and you're saying, okay, so this is something that I really want to make sure that I show for my children. Think about it very concretely. Think about the fact that when you teach your kids how to give and receive gratitude, you are teaching them empathy. We know that that's hugely important in social relationships. People who express a lot of gratitude some of the research shows is that they are also less critical of themselves. And we know that self-criticism is a risk factor for anxiety and depression, and that it is a way to really support social bonding and to create relationships. It also helps with emotional regulation. If we're talking about, you know, the act of being grateful and of expressing that, there are a lot of benefits that we give our kids when we put this practice into place with our families and we model it and we teach it and we do it on a regular basis. You have the game that you like to show families of when you're talking about anxiety and response, what was something you didn't expect today and how right. did you respond and handle Unexpected it? things, right? Problem sure. solving. Yep. So I think that when a lot of families sit down at the table, they say, well, what are you thankful for? And I think we're guilty of this too. I think mm-hmm. that we have always had such a simplistic view of that exercise, mm-hmm. even though we use the phrase, I'm grateful for you. But if we were to sit around at a table and say, what are you thankful for? We're likely not going to be using those moments and using that language for the power of what gratitude can be. Mm -hmm. So what we have to simply say is, what are you thankful for that is an action that someone you know did? Mm -hmm. Right. And thankful for that someone did here at this table. Yep. Because families get the habit of learning how to say to their sibling, I'm grateful that you did this, this, and this. Right. Siblings learn to say it with each other. Mm -hmm. Parents 
say it to their children, to their to their partners, if there's two adults in the house, to make mm-hmm. sure that they're modeling that. That is showing children early on how to articulate gratitude in a way that is its at its most potent. Right. As a way to deepen your emotional and social connection with other people. And remember, I've said this a gazillion times and I'll say it again, when we're looking at risk factors for anxiety and depression, loneliness and isolation come up over and over and over again. So anything that we do, anything that we teach our kids that fosters that kind of social and emotional connection is is worth its weight in gold. So as we hear gratitude throughout the month, as we approach the Thanksgiving holiday, I think it just is really important to think about how did you used to think about gratitude? How might you think of it now so that Mm -hmm. you are leveraging it for what it really can be? And how are you bringing the culture of gratitude in with your family? Because, you know, you always talk about flexibility, autonomy, and problem solving. Mm -hmm. This sounds like another good fourth to add to the list of mm-hmm. this is this is a personality trait or a, a custom or a habit that parents really want to put some emphasis on. Yeah, well, it's under the other thing I talk about all the time is connection. And this is just under the heading of connection. Sure. And I think maybe what we could do is give the adults that are listening a little assignment, which is, is there somebody in your life, either currently or in the past that you would really like to express your appreciation and your gratitude for. And so just do it. Just do it. Don't delay. Just do it. Get that wonderful feeling of connection uh, that comes from that. I'm thinking of that great scene in the Fred Rogers movie Mm -hmm. when they're in the diner and, and Tom Hanks asks the writer, to stop and think about someone, to sort of shift his mindset and think Mm -hmm. about someone who you're so grateful for. Mm -hmm. If people don't know what's so beautiful about that scene is that the people that they did close-ups on in that diner were real life friends and family of Fred Rogers. Mm -hmm. So his wife was sitting in the restaurant. I think one of his children, the female producer that he worked with for so many years. Mm. If you listen to the last commencement speech that he gave... Was it Dartmouth? Yeah, and that's what he had people do that. He even did it, I think, the Kennedy Center Honors. That was one of these, uh, something that he did very frequently at his speaking engagements when he was talking is that he would be quiet for a minute. He would say, I'm going to give you a moment of, of silence, a minute of silence, and I just want you to think about somebody in your life that you're grateful for, right? And then the next thing is let them know it. If they're still around, let them know it. Don't hold back. Don't wait. Let them know. Chip and Dale were the chipmunks who would say, after you, after you, no, after you, right? They were like the ones who were excessively polite. I don't know. I thought they were the ones that had like little chipmunk voices like this. So there are two chipmunks, two animated chipmunks that are excessively polite to each other. Oh, but I question whether or not those chipmunks are Chip and Dale. So here's the here's the issue that needs to be resolved. We know that Chip and Dale is used in a variety of contexts. Yes. Rodents, furniture, and male strippers. I don't know that there is another phrase in our language that actually covers such a wide array of things. Well, what I want to do is I want to look at the furniture history and the phrase Chippendale, look at the styles again and see why someone said that's the, the adjective for our male strippers. I think that's really, to me, the interesting question. 
Do you think you're going to find some historical question? I think you're really, I mean, good for you, but I think you're really giving a lot of credit to people who are coming up with a name for male strippers. Now, perhaps I'll be surprised, but we'll see. I'm thinking Chippendale Furniture, maybe they had a lot of those tassels hanging. You're going furniture inspiration and I'm going rodent fetish. So we'll see where this plays out. Although your side seems extremely intriguing, I think I'm going to (laughs) win. All right. Well, I'm fine with you winning, right? We're just going to go with the facts. I just want you to know that I am grateful that you said that you're fine, that I'm winning. What I really appreciate about you is your your steadfast allegiance to some sort of rational explanation for why male strippers are called. Like, I appreciate the, just like the, like you are going to go back in history and you're going to make sense of this. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate you seeing me for who I am. Well, we're going to put up, there's a whole bunch of TED Talks on gratitude. We're going to make sure that we put those in the show notes for everybody. Mom, can I have more time? This is what you'll hear when you use a circle to manage your kid's screen time. What do you think of the circle? I hate it. Why do you hate it? Well, I don't actually hate it, but I feel like it's good that I'm not spending as much time on the internet. It lets you set daily limits for different apps and social media. It also controls your kids' Wi-Fi schedules, and you can adjust age-appropriate filters for searches from little kids to teens. Our affiliate link will get you $20 off a circle. I love it. But it's still annoying in the moment. I'm sure it is. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance, so literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. Picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn, and now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it. 
It's fantastic, and that's what you get with Masterclass. I recently listened to Matthew Walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep. I loved Bobby Brown's Masterclass, gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes and I want to look good, and Bobby was such a big help. So this year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Like I actually put on makeup the way that Bobby Brown taught me how to put on makeup. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Masterclass offers over 180 instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe you want to learn how to just make your makeup look better with Bobby Brown or sleep better with Matthew Walker, with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. I loved it. There are over 200 classes to pick from. New classes are added every single month, like a class that talks about your gut health. So many interesting things to learn. So every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash Fluster. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster. Okay, Lynn, we have a listener question now I'd like to ask you. Okay. We're struggling with language for our usually straight A's anxious freshmen, losing school motivation, trying to avoid as long as you're trying your best line of advice. We know we all need to learn the skill of when it's okay to cut corners. As parents in these times, we're okay with our kids just trying to stay organized and completing all assignments on time to meet class requirements. However, our freshman is newly disorganized, missing assignments, and just not even caring, saying it doesn't matter, and also commiserating with school friends all saying the same thing. We don't think that this giving up is the same as knowing when to coast, but not sure how to effectively talk about the best given the circumstances. That's a great question. And there's a lot of things in here that I think are pretty common right now to parents trying to deal with academics. I actually just saw this morning, interestingly, that common applications are for colleges are way, way down. So people, kids have taken their foot off the gas because of all that's going on around us. And so parents are feeling a little bit of anxiety, a little agita about, okay, so aren't we supposed to be moving forward here? So for this freshman, I think one of the things we want to pay attention to and maybe talk to, I'm just going to say it's a her just for pronoun ease. So what I would talk to her about is that there is a difference right now between learning how to cut corners, learning how to differentiate between when you have to put the pedal to the metal and when you can coast. But that is very different from the all or nothing thinking mom that you're hearing. So you're hearing, so she was getting straight A, she was doing it perfectly, and now she's flipped to this very different attitude of, oh, it doesn't matter anyway. There's a big difference between sometimes I have to push it and sometimes I can coast and I'm either going to get all straight A's or it doesn't matter anyway. 
And I would start asking those how questions. Remember, how questions are more effective than why questions, because why questions oftentimes say, I don't know, or they get defensive. Like, why aren't you handing your assignments in on time? So you want to move into a more problem-solving way of talking. I would ask your freshman, I would say, I hear you saying it doesn't matter. How did you come to that conclusion? And maybe that will open up a conversation about how weird this feels and how overwhelming and that they're hearing from each other. Oh, it doesn't matter. Remember, particularly if you're a freshman in high school, there's a lot of social contagion and a lot of social pressure to sort of adopt a certain uh, philosophy, so to speak. I would ask how questions. It sounds like there's a peer group with a contagious Mm -hmm. outlook. Yeah. So they may be feeling, remember, uh, this has been going on for a long time. And so it's getting old and it's getting sort of normalized over time. And they're hearing things and they're, they're just worn out. So I would ask, how did you come to that conclusion? I would also ask, how do you know the difference between when you have to really push it and when you can coast? And I would also see if, based on everything that's been going on, and I don't know whether your child is remote or hybrid or in person, but chances are it's whatever's happening, it's different than usual, of course, is that see if you can help this newly disorganized freshman in high school, see if you can talk to her about setting up more of a routine, because it may be right now that the days are not as structured as she needs them. When I talk to high school students in general, they are thrilled with the fact that they have more time during the day to do their work if they're on a hybrid model. They like the fact that they're not booked every second of the day, and I actually think that's a pretty good thing. But with younger kids, so if this is her first year in high school, this lack of structure that a lot of kids are experiencing right now may be too much for her. And so it may be that if she's not in school full time, you want to talk to her about how you're going to put a little bit more routine into her day so that she can get her homework done, so that she can figure out a process in which she hands her assignments in on time. So it could be a combination of she's disorganized. It also could be a combination of there's this social contagion of like, oh, it doesn't matter. This has been a very draining time. You know, we all know how emotionally spent we've felt over the last few months. So talk to her about that. You want to get her away from this all or nothing thinking because this sounds a little perfectionistic, right? Either I'm straight A's or doesn't matter. There's a whole lot of wiggle room between then. So here's an opportunity for this 14-year-old to start learning these skills of differentiation is that it also gives you an opportunity to talk to her about the difference between what she needs to get done and how she feels about it. The way we get things done is not based on how we feel when we start. It's often based on how we feel when we're finished. And I would help her begin to think about that. It's okay to do your homework even if you don't feel like it. Putting your feelings in charge of the bus generally doesn't get your math homework done. One of the questions that I would have if this were my child if this child was really motivated before and and clearly wanted to put the effort into receiving good grades and getting those accolades, is there something in the new school setup where those motivators are no longer there? Mm-hmm. And so therefore that child is just not feeling the push from a teacher or the validation from a teacher and the way that the schoolwork is is happening. Mm -hmm. And to have a conversation with a child of like, what is different now? And what was different in eighth grade versus ninth grade? 
The other thing, too, to remember about this strange learning environment that we're in is that your freshman may depend on a certain amount of validation, may depend on a certain amount of interaction with teachers, even face-to-face interaction that she's not really getting right now. The other thing to remember, too, is that it is not unusual when kids start high school developmentally where she is right now for her to sort of have have a little adjustment to this and figure out who she's going to be as a high school student. So it, it could be specifically pandemic related, but it also could be developmentally related and it could also be a combination of the two things. But, but see, see, ask her sort of what, what, what sort of made doing good work and handing in your assignments and being organized? What made that feel good to you before? And where it, where is that missing? Now, be careful because we know that extrinsic motivation is not nearly as long-lasting or as powerful as as intrinsic motivation. In other words, when we pay kids for grades or we bribe them to do things like that, we want her to to find something inside herself that she says, oh, it, it, it feels really good for me to know that I've done a good job. Say there's a group of like three or four friends and there could be a very dominant voice in that group who is really spearheading this attitude. So maybe Mm -hmm. it was a group of kids who did sort of care before, but one of them is like, this is all BS. There's no (laughs) point, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Right. Right. So it's a social, it's a social thing. So how would you handle that as a parent? Well, that's, that's just content, right? So we always want to teach the skill, particularly to 13 and 14 year olds, how do you determine who you're going to listen to and who you're not going to listen to? How are you going to turn down the kid that says, you know what, smoking pot is fine and everybody says it's bad for your brain, but, you know, I heard that it really enriches, enriches your creativity or, you know, it's all that, all that talk about staying up too late is BS. So this is an opportunity to say when you are in a social setting, when you are in a social group, Many of these norms are contagious, and this is how it works. This is how they figure out who they are. This is why it's challenging that they can't all be together in person all the time because this is the work that is to be done socially. So you begin to have that conversation. It's back to that old cliche. Remember, like, well, if they jumped off a bridge, would you too? Right? I mean, that's a that's a 1952 way of saying, how do you differentiate between who you're going to follow and who you're going to reject? This is a good opportunity. If if mom has a sense that this is sort of a social thing that's coming in this group, and maybe there is one leader of the pack, how do you say, and how do you give her words, and how do you give her practice to say, this is not the path that I want to go on? It's very tempting. Gosh, it's very tempting at this point to say, oh, what what does it matter? But how do you know what are you going to listen to and what are you going to ignore? I think that's a very good thing in any context to have that conversation with a 13 or a 14-year-old. It's a good conversation to have with a 10-year-old too, but right now developmentally when social pressures are so important, social norms are so important, that's a great conversation to have. Mm, good advice. And I'm having these conversations with my own kids. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I just want to make sure that as I'm talking about this and, and, you know, for those of you that are thinking that I'm like, yeah, this is what you do. This is what you do. But I'm also right in the mix of this. I've got kids going through big developmental things. I don't ever want people to think that I'm sitting here as an expert and my kids are perfect and I'm the perfect parent. So join our Facebook group and you will 
have the opportunity to ask Lynn another question. And stay tuned because the Chippendale mystery is going to be solved. All right. On that note, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.